Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Carruthers, and I have been a serial cannapreneur in the growing, processing, and retail space for over eight years. And we are here to learn together to get a well-balanced understanding of cannabis and cannabis products. Tune in every week for quality cannabis education for your canna inspiration. All right, I am pushing the live button. And we're live on Facebook. We're live on YouTube. Hello, 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 cannabis community. Welcome to the Cannabis Connect show. We are live. If you're out there in the comments, uh, say hello. Uh, let me know who you are. Let me know where you are watching, you are listening to. We have a great show you. We have a great show for you today. Great show you. Great show you. Yeah, that's how I, that kind of makes sense. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about getting funding in the cannabis industry. We got a lot of questions about how to get finance in this industry. We had a couple of technical uh, difficulties earlier, but if things come in and out, just please stick with us. But nevertheless, um, again, this is the Cannabis Connect show. Every third Wednesday of the month, we talk about a topic related to cannabis business. Um, this is brought to you by the Craft Cannabis Club. Uh, the club is for mature cannabis users who are looking to get into the cannabis industry or who are in the cannabis industry. And the club is a place where like-minded people can come together, share resources, make connections, uh, which is exactly what this event is about. Without any further ado, we're going to go straight to it. I'm going to read this nice bio by our guest. We have a special guest today, um, Michael. Michael founded Capital Business Collective, CBC, um, in 2016 as a business advisory to small and middle market businesses. As a legal cannabis industry began to emerge in the U.S., CBC had an influx of cannabis clients looking to help find solutions to some of the industry's most difficult problems. That's what's up. Most notably, banking and financing. Yes, that is a huge issue in the cannabis industry, and we're going to talk about a lot of solutions today. This was the catalyst for CBC's evolution into the successful form it is, firm it is today, the premier boutique investment bank for the legal cannabis industry. Boutique, meaning that is very intimate, okay? Get that one-on-one -on -one love. It's not like that, that mass-produced big banks. You get the personal love, which you really need in this cannabis industry. Prior to finding or founding CBC, Michael spent his career in the, in the industrial automotive consulting for large multinational corporations, specializing in the process efficiency and engineering. He is passionate about veterans' issues and is a founding board member of the John P. Mayhew Foundation a DC-based nonprofit focused on alternative therapies for veterans and their families battling post-traumatic stress um, and traumatic brain injury and opioid addiction. That's much love right there. Michael is originally from Boston area. That means he's probably a Patriots fan. I mean, he has a lot of junk to talk about, but okay. Maybe high, you know, they got pretty much every sport they could talk about everything. But anyways, has a bachelor's degree from the University of New Hampshire in political science. Um, Arabic and Middle East studies. In effort to pursue a career in the military, he was medically discharged from Marine Corps Officer Candidate School for injuries sustained during training. 
He is devoted to working with veterans to overcome the hardships they've incurred in exchange for their selfish services to our country. Woo! Without any further ado. Hello, Michael. Hey, how are you? How you doing, man? Good. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, where are you actually broadcasting from? Uh, Bethesda, Maryland, right outside D.C. Um, all right, cool. I think without any further ado, I'm going to give you a slide, man, and we're going to go straight into the presentation, and um, we're going to get into the Canada's funding. Let me get us both up here. Boom. Here we go. You ready? Perfect. So we're going to talk about Canada's funding. Um, I can lead you into the first slide here. here. Uh, I'm using StreamYard for the third time here, but here we go. Uh, my Michael is a feeling. Don't worry, we're going to fight with it. We're going to fight with it. All right. Everything we need to know about, let's start off here. There, Michael? I'm here, yeah. Did you want me to read the slide? Uh, well, you can kind of be the presenter and you kind of um, be the main expert on this topic. Yeah, you can kind of walk this slide as talking points, but we're looking for you to kind of teach us about uh, some information from this slide. And, yeah, uh, I, I thought you had a Q&A for me, but I can read the slides for you. That's fine. Um, sure, let me, uh, let me look. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I don't, if you have a question, that would probably be easier, but I can just read the slides instead. Um, like well, any, well, well, let's, let's start. That's a good, I mean, I can ask you questions off this slide. That's, that's perfectly fine. I guess with that. Okay. Um, so why do most banks avoid marijuana businesses when it comes to banking, um, banking accounts or, or even loans? Like why are they even, if you're about touching yeah, so um, if you think about it, it's really it's really a matter of, of risk, right? So there's there's plenty of banks out there um, that will touch cannabis businesses. They will bank cannabis businesses. Um, they're mostly out west, um, but so it's not like it's it's necessarily something that they're that that they won't do. But the fact that cannabis is still technically federally illegal, so illegal at the at the federal level, not not talking about within um, certain states and, and whatever varying degree that, that they've legalized cannabis. Um, banks banks don't want to touch it until they have the certainty, mostly, um, that the government isn't going to come in and freeze all of their assets, right? Or shut the bank down or, or stop them from doing business in, in any certain way. Um, particularly with bigger banks, uh, if, you, if you think about like the Wells Fargo's, the, the Bank of America's and, and things like that, they've got millions of clients throughout the country if for even a day um, or God forbid a, a week or a month, the government comes in and, and stops them from doing business, that's a, that's a ton of, of business that they lose. Um, people only bank with, with banks that they trust, that they know that they're, they're going to have access to their cash you know, in, in the bank uh, and things like that. So it's really just a matter of, of risk. It's not, like, it's not necessarily that the banks are saying it's illegal for us to do this. It's more of 
it's not worth our time. Um, it's there's plenty of business out there in the world that's not cannabis touching, and until um, there's absolutely no uncertainty around the fact about whether cannabis is is legal across the country or not, we don't. There's no reason for us to touch it. So that's why you, you'll see a lot of credit unions um, will bank cannabis as opposed to normal banks that that most people are using. Um, credit unions are very popular because they're they're typically not federally chartered. A lot of them are state chartered. Um, and, and also credit unions were invented for the reason of banking the unbanked, right? They, they were invented for, um, you know, workers unions way back in the day and, and people who couldn't get access to banking. Um, so it's kind of like a, uh, a, it's coming full circle where they're now the ones that are, that are primarily banking cannabis businesses. So you, you kind of mentioned credit unions and we're kind of talking about some, so what are some of the solutions to the funding? Uh, whether you're starting up or you are an existing cannabis business, what are some of the funding and banking options? Yeah, so you know, there's a there's a big difference between seeking funding when you're a pure startup and when you're an existing business. Um, we get a lot of inquiries uh, and clients who are at both of those stages, um, and they're two very different things. Um, you know, if we're talking about the different types of, of financing, um, as, as you'll see on, on either this slide or, or uh, one's coming up, equity versus debt. That's like the, the main thing, right? When you're, when you're raising money, you need to figure out whether or not you're going to raise equity uh, or if you're going to raise debt. Um, equity, as, as most people will probably know, is uh, money that uh, people are investing in exchange for shares or percentage of the company. And debt being like a, a bank loan, if you were to go to the bank and, and ask for a loan, uh, that would be debt, right? So um, the, the main difference there that a lot of people don't necessarily um, understand um, is that when you're a startup, there really isn't any way to raise debt, right? Like if you've got no revenue, if you don't even have a business yet, you know, you haven't even launched the business, um, you've got no revenue, You've got no assets, you know, depending on what kind of business it is. Um, say you're a manufacturing facility, you're a cultivation or a processor in, in cannabis. Um, mm -hmm. Anything money to, to buy not only the building, but you're buying the equipment, uh, all processing and things like that. If you don't have any of that equipment already, um, you don't have anything to collateralize, right? So how are you going to get a loan when you have you have nothing to put up for collateral? Um, you're it's, it's really not a situation where anybody is going to be comfortable lending you money. It's although cannabis businesses don't necessarily have access to traditional banking. That's the whole point of, of this entire talk, really. Uh, despite that, the people who do loan money, the private lenders, they'll still put you through the same process that a bank would. Right. Because it's still risk versus reward for them. If, if they don't see any reward in lending you money or if there's nothing if you can't show that investor anything um, that could put them at ease for lending you money, as in if you are unable to pay them back, are they able to take a piece of equipment away? Right. That's collateral. If you can't pay me back my loan, I'm going to take all your equipment <laughs> because uh, you need repayment. Right. So a startup, they, they typically can't do that. They typically don't have any anything like that um, that would allow them to, to raise debt. So they typically go for equity. Um, most people will, will have you know that equity is, is more expensive in the long run, right? Because that means you're giving up a chunk of your company. 
Um, however, at the very beginning uh, of your journey, uh, starting a business, equity is probably the primary way that, that you're going to have to raise money. And a lot of people do that through um, family and friends. The very first money in, uh, when, you're, when you're starting up, your best bet is to go and ask every single person you know, every, every family member, every friend you have, and just see if they'll, if they'll either loan you some money uh, or if they'll uh, invest some money in, in exchange for some shares of, of your company. And, uh, and typically that first money in with the family and friends, it's going to be the most lucrative for you, right? That your best friend's probably not going to gouge you on, on, you know, I want 51% for, for, you know, a couple thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, as the company progresses and you're going out and you're asking, uh, actual investors in your seed round, things are going to get more difficult for, for the company as, as far as terms go, um, people are going to expect more, uh, equity in the company than, than maybe your, your family or your friends did. And so it gets a little bit more expensive uh, as, you, as you go on. But most important thing to remember is, is just understanding what is possible from the beginning. Uh, and again, that's, that's different if you're, if you're already up and running. If you've got revenue, you've been in business for a few years, you've got assets, you've got machine or machines or equipment, you have access to, to uh, a, a much wider variety of, of financing resources. And that could include debt. Right. You could get a loan on, on stuff like that because you're trustworthy. Um, think of credit. Right. Um, if you've got revenue, you've got assets, then then chances are someone will give you a loan. Um, either way, you could always raise equity. You just have to remember that you're giving up a piece of your company in exchange. So that sounds like more of the private loan. Well, you also kind of mentioned if you have real estate, maybe pretty much some kind of collateral equipment, real estate, using that as a option for a company. Have you ever seen like um, like bridge loans being used in the cannabis industry or even like working capital loans? Or it's kind of hard to have a revenue base, um, especially when you're a startup because you're having revenue. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. There's there's a whole, there's a slew of different types of, of loans. Again, most of them, they're, they're not going to apply to to a startup. Um, if there's nothing, if there's nothing there, to loan against, um, no one, no one is comfortable lending you. You're, you're the most trustworthy person in the world. What matters is on paper. Now, the exception to that is maybe you have some, maybe you your house in exchange for a loan. You can do that uh, if you personally guarantee it, as opposed to the company or or an asset in the company guaranteeing a loan. That's always possible. Uh, a lot of people that that reach out to us as startups, they they don't necessarily have that though. They don't have a home to put up or you know, they rent or something like that. Um, but yeah, the different types of loans, they, you know, they typically apply to, to the people who have already had a business that's up and running. Um, but there are, there are different times or kinds for, for every single thing you could possibly um, try to, to get financed, right? So equipment loans is, is a huge one, particularly for our clients. Um, we do a lot of business with, with cannabis manufacturing companies. There's a lot of equipment in there. In fact, most of the time, if a company like that is raising money, it's, probably going to be for the purpose of buying a machine, right? So an equipment loan um, would be someone that would give you a loan uh, for the explicit purpose of buying that piece of equipment. And then there's a, a you know, a, a bunch of different things that, uh, or arrangements they could come to on the back end. either um, we'll give you this loan and, and we'll set a percentage interest um, or, or a, a total uh, repayment uh, factor over the, over the uh, principal amount that we gave you. Um, and you just keep paying us back every month until you hit that number. And then we'll call it good and go our separate ways. Um, right. As long as it's above what they loaned and they make a, re uh, and a return on their investment, people are okay with that. 
um, other people will be okay with with a, um, a, a revenue-based loan based off of what that equipment or that piece of equipment that the loan bought is generating. So say, you know, you're, you're buying a piece of equipment that um, is spitting out products that, you know, nets the company maybe, you know, 10 grand a month. Maybe the, the person who gave the loan is going to want two of that 10 grand each month in repayment, right? So it's not necessarily um, you owe me two grand every month, regardless of how much you make. Maybe it'll be a little bit more flexible. Maybe we want 25% of what you make every month. And whether that's higher or lower than, than two grand, doesn't matter. We'll take 25% of whatever it makes um, until we repay back the loan plus, uh, plus the interest. So, you know, there's, there's a, a wide variety, like I said, of, of different types of loans. Um, bridge loans, those are really, that's kind of last minute type stuff. It's typically very expensive. It's when you're in a bind, maybe you need to hit some payroll um, or you have some, some expenses that, you, you know, cash flow is tight and you're just looking for a loan to get through the next couple months or something. COVID is probably a good example of that. You know, a lot of people are struggling with payrolls um, beyond what the government stimulus was, was able to provide them or the PPP loans, stuff like that. But you're, you know, in exchange for that, you gotta, you gotta remember, there's someone on the other side of the investment, right? Yeah. People aren't just altruistic and they don't just like you so much, they're gonna give you money and say, please, I, I want you to survive, take this money and, and we'll be good. People they just haven't met me yet, Mike. Yeah, they, they, just, they, they just haven't met me yet. Yeah, yeah, we haven't met you yet, exactly. Um, but people want to return on their investment, right? So, you know, something like that where you're in a bind and you need that cash right now, the, the investor's probably going to take a little bit of advantage. And I'm not saying, you know, invest, all investors are bad or anything like that, but like they're going to recognize the urgency in the situation and they're going to expect maybe a little bit more of a repayment than if you weren't so cash strapped at the time. You know what I mean? So there's trade-offs with every different type of, of loan. Okay. You um, spoke about equity and debt. Can you speak a little bit more about how a convertible note works? Yeah. So a convertible, convertible note is kind of a, it's a hybrid of the two. So it's, it's technically a loan, um, but it's a loan that a company receives with the expectation that it's going to convert into equity. So, um, and, and that's good. There's pros and cons to that. Um, a lot of a lot of people that we work with that are looking for a convertible note. It's it's typically when they're very early stage, and they don't know what their company is worth, right? They don't know the valuation of their company. So, like, say for example, you know, going back to the startup world, um, before a company even has any revenue at all, it's still an idea on the back of a napkin, uh, or even further than that. We, you know, you've got a team, you've got a business plan, and you're you're working at it, but you just haven't generated revenue yet. Um, how do you how do you possibly evaluate that kind of a company that, you know what I mean? If you haven't made any money yet, who are you to tell me your company is worth $10 million, right? And so if, if you're asking for a million dollar equity investment and you offer me 10%, um, you're telling me you're worth $10 million. Well, I'm, I'm probably going to laugh at you as would most people. Um, you know, I, I would think that my million dollars is worth a lot more than, than 10%. Um, and, and your valuation is, is just, it's wild. And, and that's expected because no, nobody knows how to value your company that early. So a C note, uh, or a convertible note, you'll, you'll agree to, to that when you're early stage, basically under the pretense that we don't know how to evaluate this company right now. So I don't know how much equity to give you in exchange for your million dollars. 
So for the time being, we're going to call it a loan. I'll give you interest payments every month if that's what you want. Sometimes the investors will say, don't worry about the interest because I plan on converting it to equity anyways. Um, and then with that million dollars, I can do A, B, C, and I can grow it to a company that I can confidently call a $10 million company. And at that point, we'll know it's a $10 million company. And so everything, the amount of money that you gave me, it'll convert into equity at that time. So there's, again, there's pros and cons to that. So say from an investor standpoint, say I give you a million dollars and you absolutely kill it. Like you, you take your company to the moon. Well, the better you do and the more your company's valuation is, the worse it is for the investor, the guy, the only guy who took the early bet on you, because the better you do with it, um, the less and less of the company, my million dollars is going to translate to in, in, in a percentage, Right. If you do, if you do super, super well, um, it just means that my money is worth a lot less than if you didn't do very well. So a lot of times in exchange, the investor will say, um, we'll, we'll do that kind of an arrangement, but I'm going to cap it. So I want you to absolutely kill it, but my money is going to convert once you hit a $10 million valuation, right? Once we can both agree that your company's worth 10, I want my shares to convert because the better you do, again, my share is going to be diluted more and more and more, right? Yeah. But that's the pretense of a, of a convertible note. It's just very flexible early on. And it, you know, it could be good and bad uh, or pros and cons, I should say, for both the investor and, and the startup. Um, but it's very flexible. And that's what you, you probably heard a lot of people talk about safe notes, right? Out of Silicon Valley. A safe note is a convertible note. That's all it is. Okay. So, so between convertible notes, debt, investment financing, and equity, um, between those three in the candidate industry, what have you seen the most done? So we, we primarily like to work with just straight equity, right? We do, and, and also, by the way, we don't do any business in the public markets. We only do private placements. Um, so we work with private clients. Um, and, and we, I would say, before COVID, 90 to 95% of our raises were equity. Now, what COVID has done to the investment environment is a lot of investors are, are scared. And maybe, maybe scared is the wrong word, um, just hesitant. They're more hesitant with their money. Um, and so a lot of people um, would be more comfortable loaning money than investing in equity, right? Because you have to think of the risk. Again, everything boils down to risk. The same thing for the banks. Um, investors are only care about risk as, as well, right? And their, re their return. So if I give you a million dollars in an equity investment, if you just go belly up and, and don't do what you were supposed to, um, you, maybe you had a bad team, you had a fight with your, with your founders and the company ended up dissolving or COVID happened and, and I gave it to you in February and the entire world shut down in March and the company just either falls flat uh, because of bad timing or, or whatever, there's no way for that investor to recoup their million dollars. Absolutely nothing. Like what, sorry, I don't have a million dollars to give you my company bill. What are you going to do? So that's, so equity is like a hundred percent risk for, for investors. Um, with debt, first of all, if you talk about uh, the capital stack, right? When, when a company goes into bankruptcy and they're dissolving all of the cash and assets and things like that, the first people to, to get repaid, um, as opposed to, to, to the preferred um, or the common stock shareholders, are going to be all the people who have 
um, debts owed to, right? So if, if I gave you a loan, whether you want to pay me back or not, low battery please charge. <laughs> Someone's battery's low. I know, right? Um, whether whether or not you want to pay me back or not, um, because I have that loan and we have a loan agreement and a promissory note, when the bank is liquidating your assets, I'm going to be one of the first people, depending on how many other people. But I'm going to be one of the first people to recoup my investment. An equity investor cannot say that. So again, it's not as risky to loan people money as it is uh, to make an equity investment. Okay, so, now, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you spoke about equity a lot, and we talked about, and obviously, who are you to say your company's worth? $10 million when you haven't really had any sales yet or did anything. So when is the right time to really come up with a valuation? Yeah. So that's going to be, um, say in the case of a convertible note, typically when, when the note converts is what's called a trigger event. And a lot of times that's either going to be a certain date in the future, like a year or two, maybe three, if you're pushing it, uh, or it's going to be when you raise money again. So say the convertible note was like your seed raise, but then in a year you do your series A. Well, when you do your series A, you better know what the valuation of your company is at that time. So if you know what the valuation is at that time, then that means the person who invested a, a C note with you also knows what the valuation of your company is. And so he can convert his C note, right? And like I said before, the earlier he does that in a company's lifetime, the more equity he gets. Um, so it, it it's... Uh, advantageous to him to, to do that. So as soon as you start your second raise, that's when the note will convert. Um, and you'll know at that point. So um, a lot of times how, how we'll um, evaluate a company is going to be basically if I'm being, if I'm being transparent in the cannabis industry, it's very difficult. Um, it's, it's difficult to value a company that is private as opposed to public. Public companies, very easy to put a valuation on, right? You just, you see what the market cap is how many shares are outstanding versus what's the stock price. Very easy to know the company's worth. Private company, how do you do that? For private companies, all you can really do is, well, there's three things you can do, um, but primarily you're going to compare your company to all of its closest competitors. Like say you line up 10, 10 companies, including yours, side by side. If you can get this information, their revenue, their gross margin, their expenses, their EBITDA, their net, all of those financial benchmarks, and you compare them to each other, um, depending on what those other companies have done, if you know valuations um, of those companies because of raises they've done, um, if the closer you are to their finances, then you start to know what your company's worth, right? Because it's it's a it's a it's a free market. It, you can almost think of it like buying stocks, right? So if okay. there's two CBD companies, private side by side, um, and an investor is is giving one of wants to choose between one or the other a million dollars. I don't know what company A is worth, but company B just did a raise and they were worth this much. So I would rather invest in company B if that valuation is less than what company A is claiming their valuation is, right? What 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 what's in it for me? It's more expensive. It's like buying a more expensive stock okay. if company A claims their valuation is higher even though they do the exact same thing as company B. So, so really, a lot of people will want to, to value their own company, but it really doesn't matter what the founders of the company think the company is worth. It's up to investors. 
Um, okay. Just like you buy anything, it's worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. The right. same exact thing for the company. The investor is going to tell you what they're worth. And if they don't like it or you guys can't agree on that number, then the investor is just going to go invest somewhere else instead. Now, as one of those early founders, and I'm sure you, know, you watch Shark Tank, everybody walks in there and they want to give up this small percentage of company yep. for a large amount. Um, what is a comfortable amount? based on your experience that someone should not have shock to understand this is the basic average amount of equity you give up in this industry because of the risk. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a very difficult question. And it's, and it's always going to depend on what the company is doing, how much of a valuation you can determine um, at the, at whatever point the company is in. Right. So okay. for generating revenue, at least this is one of the other ways, you know, to, to try to evaluate a company. Um, a lot of times you'll do a multiple of revenue or a multiple of EBITDA, right? So if say, I, you know, I think a company is worth um, two times revenue, they're doing a million dollars a year. And that means the valuation of the company is $2 million, right? Um, or EBITDA, maybe it's a, it's a uh, five times EBITDA company because uh, the EBITDA number is obviously going to be much lower than the top line. Um, you know, you can just multiply that number by five. Um, and say that's how I evaluate the company. And, and you do that because of, again, with, with comps, with other um, companies within an industry, a lot of times there's norms. People, people will say in this industry, it's most accurate to do this type of, of valuation on, on a company. Um, and that could be 2x revenue, 5x EBITDA, whatever it happens to be. So in a case like Shark Tank, when these, they're still just ideas, how, how do you do that? It's the same thing, you know, like I was saying earlier with startups, how, how could you possibly do that? So it, it really just ends up being a, a fierce, aggressive negotiation. That's why they call it shark. And you'll, and you'll also see that a, a lot of times, maybe you don't realize it, but a lot of times um, the sharks, they'll balk um, because they really like an opportunity and they'll just say, okay, you know, I'll take the lower uh, equity amount, whatever. However, you're going to pay me um, recurring uh, uh, revenues off of your sales for the next five years or indefinitely. They'll always throw in a caveat there because they know that they've agreed to a lower equity number than they really should have. Um, but they're in the, they have the upper hand. You're in the shark tank. You need their money. What are you going to say? No. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. It's such an interesting show and it's so captivating. But it's, it's literally, it's almost impossible to, to actually evaluate a, a, an idea or a company that's so early it hasn't even started making money yet. Okay. Okay. And now if you're, now you're going to start talking to investors. When would you say is the best time to start raising capital? Where sometimes you may get a little ahead of the jump. Yeah. Um, or you may, I guess you could wait too late. I guess when is the kind of the right time to start raising capital? Yeah. So um, people don't typically like this answer, um, but to be honest, if you haven't if you haven't gone to every single person you know, friends, family, second connections, um, and ask them for anything they're willing to give you, don't don't expect anybody that you've never even met before to give you any money, right? Mm. Because because those are the people who know you best, trust you most, um, and and know your idea. Uh, better than anybody else, um, at, you know, as compared to a random investor. Um, and if and if after all of that, you can't even convince one of those people to do it, an investor is going to be like, I have way too many other options 
than to, to take a bet on this. Um, so, so the first thing to do is, is just get all of the family and friends money you possibly can, including your, yourself. Um, I, I, again, a lot of people hate, hate hearing this because, you know, I hear it a lot. I, I need money. If I had money, then I wouldn't need to come to you to find money, right? Mm -hmm. Catch 22. It's this never ending circle and, and I get it. Um, but it takes money to make money. And, and a lot of times you have to keep that in mind and, and it's not the answer people want to hear, but it, again, for the same reasons I just stated with your family and friends, um, you are the most trustworthy of yourself and believe in you the most. And it, and if you didn't even put any money into it, yeah, how could you possibly ask a, a random investor to? So right. until you've done those things, um, don't, don't even expect to reach out for investment. Um, once you have, and maybe it's not a lot, but at least you've, you've tried. Um, if you can bring something else to the table, like sweat equity, it, that's fine, but you have to be compelling about it. Like say, you know, listen, I, I, I have nothing, but I, but my idea is so good that how could you possibly say no to, to investing in it? But you better, you better damn well be able to prove it, right? You, you know, whether that's like the next Facebook or Airbnb, um, but if we're talking about a cannabis business, it gets very difficult because a lot of them are very similar to each other. Right. You either grow cannabis, you process cannabis, or you sell cannabis, right? Or you do some service that services one of those three things. Right. Uh, so, you know, how, how differentiated could you possibly be from your competition? Um, that's what makes it difficult in this industry. But if you've got something so compelling and you're good enough to convey that message to people, you might be able to get someone to take a bet on you. It's, it's not unheard of, but if there's a hierarchy of things to do first before you go out looking for it, it, it would right. be for sure. So now when you're approaching your friends and family um, or, or a connection of them, or maybe some kind of referral, what is the, you say the number one document or material needed to give them? Um, I'm sure you just want to have an open conversation, an elevator pitch. They want something maybe yeah. physically give them. Yep. So, you know, I would say years ago, the answer to that probably would have been a, a business plan, a comprehensive business plan. I would still say it's very important to have a business plan. Um, but I mean, you, you know, 10 years ago, you could see like 50 page business plans and it's just like, you, you know, I, yeah, you're, you're not going <laughs> to captivate anyone's attention with a 50 page document. Maybe that comes later. Um, so I would say the most important thing would be a, a pitch deck. And maybe that sounds cliche because, you know, Silicon Valley has, glorified the pitch deck but but really a pitch deck is is it should be a shortened version of the business plan um except it's not only is it shortened but it's visual right it, as opposed to me having to read a textbook which i, I certainly don't want to do I'll, I'll be honest um and probably no one else does so a pitch deck I, I would say is most important but but you should have a business plan um as well because the idea needs to be fleshed out an investor is not going to take a bet on you if you haven't fleshed out every single aspect of your company or your idea and thought of every little thing, every competitor, every possible way to market, all of the money you could make, all of the ways you could lose money. All of that is extremely important. And, and don't, don't try to pull one over on, on an investor because they'll know. Right. You, you know what I mean? Um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be in the position to invest in your company if they didn't know what they were looking at when you handed them a, a document or a pitch deck. So, um, you know, be honest. When we reach out to investors, obviously we want to present the client in the best possible light and that just to get their attention. And then once we have their attention, if they like the opportunity, 
we have to be 100% transparent with them. All of the things that aren't good about the company, right? Because nice. they're making an investment. This is a risk that they're taking with their own money. Um, and, and if you try to hide it, I guarantee you before he cuts that check, he is going to figure it out, he or she. He will, he will find that thing you were trying to hide the, the, even if it's the last minute before he cuts you the check, even if it's yeah. in his hand and he's like, by the way, what was that one thing? It'll, it'll just come out and it'll never, it'll never be good for you at that point, right? Because you tried to hide it that long. So the trick is, uh, and I even hesitate to call it a trick, but the trick is to find someone who's comfortable with the bad things of right. the company, right? You got to find someone that just believes in what you're doing, not only your company, but you doing it right like i said if you talk about cbd companies there's 500 different cbd companies in the u.s um probably a lot more than that and they're all asking for investment the investor's going to say well what what makes this one different than this one and so on and so on why invest in you as opposed to the 500 behind you um a lot of times that's the person driving the ship right maybe i believe this guy can do it a lot better than than that person can um and so everything goes in should go into your pitch deck not just uh, quantitative, but qualitative, qualitative, like who are you? What are your experiences? And, and I'll, to that same point, I'll be honest. If I see a pitch deck, that's got someone that came out of like a, a big consulting firm or like used to work for IBM or, or Coca-Cola or something like that's your credentials, your credibility. They, they speak volumes as opposed to the, to the kid who just graduated college and sends me a, a pitch deck because he's got an idea for the next you know, multi-billion dollar cannabis company because he grew a few pot plants in his dorm room in college. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's never had a job in his life. Yeah. I mean, trust me, I, I believe there are some very, very good business people out there, even at a young age, but there's only so many Mark Zuckerbergs and a and hundred people, a hundred thousand people could tell me that they're the next Mark Zuckerberg and 99% of them are going to be wrong. You know right. what I mean? So, and it, it, and, and, and it takes work. It take work. It's not, I mean, a lot of people think cannabis and it's gonna be some easy road or um, it's easy money. And yeah. there's, you know, nothing easy about this. This is, this is yeah. very hard. Think of starting oh, when, even not in cannabis. It's, it's already very difficult to start a business. You know, right. now add the difficulty of doing it in the cannabis industry. And it's, it's, it's a, yeah. When, when um, you were talking about the pitch deck, it started reminding me of like trying to get a girl to marry you. And you're gonna have to tell her all the bad things. You know, I snore, I pee in the bed, and uh, you know, do you still love me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically right. the same thing. Everything's a sale, right? Everything's a pitch. Awesome, awesome. So now, uh, just to be clear, uh, a pitch deck will normally carry a problem, the solution, the target, um, or the current market, um, what the product is, um, what the traction is, who the team is, what the competition is like some of the financials and yeah. amount that you're asking for. That's pretty yeah. much like a that's that's from Forbes. Yeah. I mean I'd say that's that's spot on, right? Like a lot of time the problem is ambiguous, right? If you're in cannabis, you know everybody knows what the problem is. Um, but a lot of times you'll have a very specific problem that you're trying to solve. But yeah, I want to know exactly what it is you're trying to solve and how you solve it. And then I want to know who you are and like who are you to be pitching me this? What have you done with your with your past experiences to be in this position now? And then tell me like Again, all the ways you can make money and all the ways you could fail at making money. I want to know both. Um, and if I give you a million dollars, how much can I expect back and how quickly, right? And how easy is it uh, that I'm going to lose my money? Um, but, you know, if everything goes well, um, how much am I going to make back? And, and prove it to me, 
You know what I mean? Prove it to me by showing how you're going to make money. A lot of people don't focus on that. Like they, they just say, we're going to make, you know, half a million dollars year one because it's a startup. And then, you know, we'll make two million in year two. And then we're going to, you know, quadruple in year three. And it's like, okay, that's, that's great. But like, can you tell me how you arrived at those numbers? Because without any explanation or any, any map as to how you arrived at that, that you can confidently defend. Um, I, I just don't believe you. And, and, and don't, and also don't be afraid. I'll help you. I'll help you figure it out if I have to, yeah. you know, but like I need to know before I give you a million dollars, I need to know what those numbers are because without knowing what, what it is, there's, it, it's not even a question. You, you know what I mean? Cool. No, that's what's up. Um, I, I want to invite the people out there who are still watching live. If you have any questions for Michael, um, you can please um, shoot them um, and we will post them up here. We put put Michael on the hot seat. But it looks like in the campus industry, there are some solutions. You may have to get a little creative, um, be very, very, very honest. Look towards your friends and families and those around you first. Um, now, what, what kind of, I guess, timeline would you expect? If I'm going out to my friends and family or I've met an investor, I'm kind of courting them. How, how normally, how, how long does it, I know that's probably every scenario is different, but what would you say how long it normally takes to kind of get that check? Yeah, I would say during COVID, it's definitely not uh, the same number. It's, it's a lot longer um, of a cycle during COVID. Like I said before, people are just a little bit more hesitant not only hesitant to invest, but to invest in, in cannabis. Um, I'd say the, the closer we get to federal legalization, um, I, I think that's starting to open up again as far as people's comfort level. Um, but you know, to that point, a lot of our job is not just trying to get um, people to invest in cannabis businesses you know, who are already investors in cannabis businesses. We do a lot of trying to convert people um, into investing in cannabis uh, businesses who, who never have. And a lot of people might not uh, be against it. They just have never been presented with the opportunity to before. So we have to do a lot of um, conversion. Um, but if, if you're, I mean, if you're going to ask me about a timeline, I mean, at the very minimum, you, you probably aren't going to see any money for at least six months. Okay. Um, again, not a, not a popular answer, but, you know, the more compelling of a business you have or the more compelling of a product you have, um, I would say the, the quicker it hopefully will be. Um, think of, this is a good example, um, but like we have clients who have owners who are um, famous celebrities or famous athletes. If, if I'm looking at two CBD companies, one of them is owned by a uh, celebrity athlete, that is going to catch people's attention much quicker than the other one who's just a startup and doesn't have anything, right? Yeah. Now, granted, we, you still want to know if the business is good. You, you know, you can't just make a blind investment, but like Things like that are compelling. You know, you've to the same point um, that your family and friends are the people who trust you most and, and believe in your idea most. If you get a celebrity or, or an athlete to put their name on your company, that's some trust right there. Um, and so anything you can do to to gather those little nuggets of value, um, I would say the quicker you should expect or that's not the right word. Don't expect anything ever. Right. Um, but, but the quicker it, it will hopefully go for you to raise money, because instead of me having to send 10 different people, you know, a, a teaser that says, I think you're really going to love this opportunity. Please allow me, you know, 10 minutes to, to show it to you. If I say, Hey, 
such and such celebrity is the owner of this company and they need $2 million to accomplish this goal. People are going to be like, yeah, let's talk tomorrow, please. I'd love to hear it. You know what I mean? It's just a yeah. quicker, everything about it is, is just quicker when you have more to, to catch their attention on. Thank you. Um, what is the best way if someone wants to reach out to you um, to get the conversation started? Um, is it through email, the website? So for the cannabis business or the capital business collective, um, is it best go to your website, email, is a form? Yeah, so uh, that's, that's my email right there. You can absolutely email me. Um, if you go to the website, um, which is the same, it's my email domain, it's the same thing. Um, there's a form on there as well. Um, and, and that goes directly to my email anyway. So e either way you wanna do it, I'll, I'll end up getting it. Awesome, awesome. Um, and then for all the, for you guys are watching the replay or if you're watching this live, all these slides will be available at Cannabis Therapy Network um, backslash resources, or just find the blog that's related to funding. Um, and and all, it's also gonna be in the show notes as well. Um, so you guys can get all this material, go back over it, and then uh, go get that funding. Um, Mike, anything else you wanna, sh you wanna share um, about funding or about uh, COVID? <laughs> Um, no, I, I mean, I would say, you know, like I said, I, I think we've really hit on the fact that it's it's difficult to be in cannabis and particularly during COVID. But like, honestly, the reason we're a, a boutique investment bank in cannabis is because of the opportunity that that there is in cannabis. Right. So um, I don't want anybody to be discouraged by, by any of that. If anything, it, you know, it should just mean work harder um, at, at proving that that you're the person who, who should be invested in as opposed to everyone else. Um, but the opportunity, we haven't seen an opportunity like this since prohibition and alcohol, mm -hmm. right, in the, in the 20s. Right now, you know, it's not even federally legal yet, um, but each state has different regulations and rules. Um, you know, you can do so much depending on, on which state you're in. There's just a ton of money to be made and a ton of good to, to do, um, particularly, you know, like, like you mentioned in my bio, the, the work with veterans or, or not even veterans, people who just use cannabis as a medicine, who, who truly believe in it and it's helping them with, with all of those things. The opportunity right now in cannabis is, is absolutely tremendous. And I, and I love everybody that reaches out to it. We can't, we can't work with absolutely everybody. There's way too many people. Um, but I love seeing every single person that does because it just tells me that, you know, someone else wants to make a difference in this industry. And I think it's, it's a huge opportunity. So, and don't like to discourage you. It's, it's, we'll get through this. Very, very soon, I hope. So oh, we will, man. We will, and I, and and I think we are. Um, and some of the things, some of the changes that happen end up being for the better. So, yeah. Well, even like this seems uh, essential in most states during COVID. Like that was a huge uh, pro for the for the industry, right? So I mean, yeah. the lining. Not that COVID is good in in any way, but um, it it definitely lended some credibility to the industry. So I think that's great. We got one question that just came in right now. Yeah. Um, let me show this right here. All right, what are the, or, or what is the key criteria for getting approved for a cannabis business loan? It's a little um, broad, but. Yeah, for the loan, it's, you know, treat, treat it as, um, you know, any, any regular bank loan, right? So, um, revenue 
is going to be huge. Your, your credit history is going to be huge. Um, and any assets that you have that you can put up for collateral. Um, those, those are going to be the, the biggest things. Like I said, e even if a traditional bank isn't going to, to be the person lending you the money, the private lender is going to, is going to require the same things. Um, that kind of also speaks to, towards my point about friends and family. So you don't, you can come to an arrangement with friends and family for a loan as opposed to equity. You, you know what I mean? Like just tell, tell your best friend that you'll, you'll pay them back, you know, 10% um, every month. Or, or whatever, you know, it, it'd still be a loan and maybe they'll be more forgiven and not require you to sign over your, your house or your car, you, you know? So there are varying degrees to what private investors might require, but you should go into it assuming it's going to be much like applying for a loan or, or a credit card with a, with a normal bank. Awesome. No, this has been a wealth of knowledge. Um, definitely a topic that, I mean, hey, it takes money to get into the industry. Um, you got to get money to even get to the table with your application, um, the professional fees, you got to come up with capital for that. And then the real estate. Um, have you found if someone actually has a license itself, but maybe just pretty much just the pre-approved holding a license, that right there and that value yeah. makes things a little bit more juicier, right? Yeah, so so a license, you know, like I said, assets huge. License is an asset. Um, there is, well, first of all, for the clients that we're working with that are hoping to have a license but don't have a license yet, they're not seeing money until, until they get that license. So even if, even if you get like five people to pool, you know, a million or, or $10 million together, um, they're not, act, they're going to commit, but they're not physically handing you that money until you show that you actually won that license, okay. right? It's all going to be contingent upon you actually getting it. Because if you don't, like what was, you know, what was the point of that? It, you know, like the investor's going to be like, that was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah, a license is, is an asset. If you have a license, that is something that's, that obviously very, very much stands out. Um, something that you should be promoting to, to the investors. Like, listen, out of, you know, the hundred thousand people that applied for a license, I mean, I'm in Maryland. There's, there's a huge fight for, for licenses in Maryland. I don't know how familiar you are with, with that and, and everything yeah. going on. But if you're one of those people that comes out on top with a license, all, all investment eyes start to focus on you as opposed to everybody else. So yeah, absolutely, get that license. All right, well, um, thank you. I'ma end this with um, what dance song would you come out to when you get a license? Um, that's a good one. So me being from the Boston area, I, I would have to choose Sweet Caroline. Uh... Uh, <laughs> I, who, who's not going to go? Oh, oh, oh! You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would come out to Sweet Caroline. Absolutely. I will. I would talk to that, my brother. I would talk to that. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, thank you for your time, Mike. Um, let's stay in contact. Much love. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, family. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. For more Cannabis Therapy blogs and resources, check our website, CannabisTherapyNetwork.org. CannabisTherapyNetwork.org.